are suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave. I'm in the piney woods of north central Florida in God's country, at least from our point of view, certainly. In the Melvin Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see rolling by your screen, and to patronize them on the spot cleaners. We got our new Allstate Insurance uh, sponsor, right. Julio Casio. So, and we've got really this this guy here is steadier than uh, what can I say? The well, the weather's not steady. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Ted Yoho is now. When you look at the backdrop, you'll notice it's dark where he is, and that's because basically he's on the other side of the world, and of all places. Look at nice camera shot. That is Mongolia. Mongolia at night. Mongolia at night. Look at that. I don't know if you can see that down there where those like landing lights are. That's a a, 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 a temple, a Buddhist temple that's roughly 200 years old that the um, Russians and the Chinese did not destroy. Wow. 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 Well, this is Wednesday, and Ted Yoho always shows up. It doesn't matter where he is. That's right. He's in Mongolia. He's been in Vietnam. Uh, you name it, we can't keep up with him, but he keeps up with us. So uh, I'm watching the chat line. Any questions you want to ask us, of course, uh, we'll be talking with you for the next uh, 45 minutes or so. And I've got Ted, green tea and Godiva chocolates. Green tea and Godiva chocolate in Mongolia. Let's start out by educating these folks where Mongolia is and what it took to get there. When I, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Mongolia, when I was here before, the way it was described to me is we're a big country between a drunken bear to the north and an angry dragon to the south. So that it's right between Russia and China. And I left Miami, Florida, um, and it was 11 and a half hours to get to Istanbul, Turkey, and from Turkey to get to Alambatar, which is the capital city of uh, Mongolia. It was a little over eight hours. <clears throat> so you want to come here with a purpose? <laughs> no kidding. I hope it's worth it. <laughs> but I tell you what, when you fly in, you see these rolling hills and plains, and there's nothing on it. And I'm like, when I flew in here the first time four years ago, I'm like, good God, look at the cattle country that you could do here if they did herd management properly. <laughs> well, what do they do? They're um, the largest producer of cashmere in the world. Really? With, the, with goats. They produce about 52% of the cashmere in the world. China does about 45%, and Pakistan does 3%. The problem for Mongolia is that cashmere they produce, 85% of that goes to China. China benefits from that cashmere and sells it as Chinese-Mongolian fur. And Mongolia only benefits from uh, um, 15% of that. In fact, that's something if you want to ask me later on, if you got time, ask me about the bill we have. It's called the Mongolia Third Neighbor Trade Act. Heck, I'll tell you right now if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do. We try to get this bill through Congress. It would um, it would uh, suspend import tariffs for five years. And there's a reason we'd want to do that. 
Mongolia is a, a fledgling democracy between, you know, Russia and a communist country, the largest con- communist country in the world, being China. And um, I just told you how much of the Kashmir goes that Mongolia doesn't benefit. And I want you to think about the money we spend in foreign aid to assist countries. So this bill would suspend tariffs for five years to allow that Mongolian fiber to be processed in country in Mongolia and shipped to the United States as a finished product. So Mongolia gets the value added benefit of that product that they produce. This happens in Africa and happens in Mongolia on minerals. The raw materials are in that country. They get transported to China and China benefits. And so our bill would have suspended the tariffs for five years. CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, said for a 10-year period, it would cost a million dollars. So five years would be 500000 <clears throat> The benefit to Mongolia is it was estimated that would create over 50,000 jobs in Mongolia, mostly women. Um, <clears throat> and think of the impact on the economy. Now, we go around the world. In fact, I sent you an article at the very end of the other stuff I sent you, I'm sorry, so I send you something. No, I love it. I love it. Um, Biden was saying that the reason that the Republican bill to fix the immigration is wrong because we're not addressing the underlying problem. Well, if you look at Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and the, the, the Central um, Latin American countries, we have spent over $10 billion over the last 15 years for economic development, all these things, $10 billion. So $500,000, well, we spent all that money in Central America, and look at the influx of people here, and the administration and Kamala Harris said, well, we haven't done enough to fix the underlying problem. They need jobs. Well, hell, they're transporting them up here and giving them our jobs. So the Mongolian Third Labor Trade Act would create an estimated 50,000 jobs for less than $500,000. I thought it was a pretty smart thing. Who sponsored that bill? Me and Dina Titus out of Nebraska. She's She was the lead on the Democratic side. They were in the majority. And, I mean, we worked it harder than she did. I mean, I, I was in Nancy Pelosi's office, and she loved this bill, and it was painful to be in her office around her. <laughs> um, but we could not get her to move on this bill. And it just it comes down to politics um, and both Republicans and Democrats. I don't want to get into that part, but it, it's just the, the nonsensical things that happen in Washington, D.C. I'm going to eat some more good chocolate. Well, he wouldn't put, push that bill. Oh, she said, Oh, I'm all behind this. We're going to get this across. We're going to push this. And I can't tell you how many times I came up to her on the, on the house floor. I said, Madam speaker, I said, where are we with the, the third, Mongolia Third Neighbor Trade Act? Oh, we're, 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 we're excited about that. We want to push that. She never did. It's the political BS that goes on constantly. And it's, it's a simple solution to a problem. And keep in mind, Mongolia, they have sent people with us to Afghanistan and Iraq since the beginning of those wars. In fact, the president of Mongolia, President Batugla, he, um, he had his son fighting over there with us. And Mongolia is a fledgling democracy. They broke, you know, they got away from uh, Russia. And I think it was 1996 they became a democracy. And we need to support them because, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen to Russia with this war. If they collapse, who's going to take over? China's on the verge of economic challenges, and Xi Jinping has got challenges within his party. They get a, over 500 protests a day in China. And so things can change. And keep in mind, Mongolia controlled all of Euro-Asia at one time under Genghis Khan. Um, and so, yeah, we should support them because they're, they're just a vibrant economy. Uh, they got a long ways to go. And it, it's just a, it goes back to the nomadic herders and, and the lifestyle that they had. And uh, Epic Times just, I, I might have, I don't know if I sent you the, 
thing about the Mongolian herders and the eagle um, hunters? I don't think so. Oh, it's it's a tradition. You know, and traditions are what keeps countries together. They honor their tradition. It's the heritage. And it's like Yellowstone in America, you know, the ranching out west. And, and of course, this next generation, that the current generation, they don't care about any of that stuff. And so, as you and I, older people, know that if you <laughs> fail to remember your history, you do, you're doomed to repeat it. Well, you know, uh, I had the good fortune to team teach with a very good colleague at Santa Fe, one of the ones I really, really respected. He was one of the great teachers there, Stuart McRae, who was an anthropologist. Oh, I know Stuart. Yeah. And so he would care of his horses. Yeah. And we would team teach this course. And um, I'll never forget, he walked our class up through from the time we were hunters and gatherers up to where we are industrialized. And he came to Genghis Khan. And he said, the reason that tribe, that, that culture could only support a certain number of people, agriculture was the one that would support the most because you could settle down and you could fence off sure. property, you know, but Khan <clears throat> was a herder, a nomadic person, as you just mentioned. And the reason he was so ferocious is he conflicted oh, with, he conflicted with people who would fence off the water. Right. And he would say, you are not pre- preventing my herd from that water. You don't own that water. Right. And that's how he, yeah, that's <laughs> how he became, had such a ferocious reputation, is that you could not tell him otherwise. If you did, you were yeah. gone. Because it was com- that nomadic, tribing, herding culture. And I think we had them out west for a while there once the horses from Spain got involved. I think it was the Apache. I'm not sure. Uh, ferocious, ferocious people because you, the whole con- conflict was with you. You don't own that water and get out of the way. We're going to drink from it. Um, right. I'll never forget that lecture. In fact, that lecture is out on YouTube. We, oh, uh, is it really? Yeah, I, I'll, is Stuart, I'll, still, is still, no, Stuart still with us? No, he's not with us. And um, you know, we'll he was a fun guy. I enjoyed going out. He was just funny. Uh, he was a bright guy. Uh, he had charisma and personality, and he had that and all of that. And we really enjoyed each other. Um, the the so we and that is that link is uh, on the and I'll send it to you. And I may even I guess I could post it on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board because it's one hell of a lecture. Um, we took it to he the television. Been in some of the trouble that Trump's in. <laughs> <laughs> but we took it to the television studio, and um, Bob Blightner recorded it for us, and yeah. that's how it's out on YouTube. And when <clears throat> Stewart passed, uh, the teachers knew that Stewart and I, well, we weren't your, we weren't liberals, you know what I'm saying? And yet they respected us because they knew we knew what we were talking about. He was in the horses. I was into the cattle. And we, you know, we cross-pollinated that way. And we we're our own guys. I mean, if it were, it was a position that the liberals had. It made sense. Why? We listened, you know, but it had to make sense. And when you take an anthropological view of man's development, you can't put much BS in that. You know, it's one of the more. Men knew they were men and women knew they were women. That's right. And it was defined by the way in which. The, the people related to the land. Everything came down to how the role, the sexual roles and all that were defined by the way you related to the land. And, well, you know, it goes back to the agrarian society. That's right. And now we have some, this is what, you know, so interesting to go down this conversation for a while with you, Ted. We have a whole group of people who don't relate to the land, don't know what the land is. You know, I sometimes listen to friends of five on five. Those are bright people, but I listen to them. They're city people. They don't have a clue what's going on in terra firma, you know? Those people are so displaced from reality. You know, they live in a bubble. They think everybody's the Hollywood type or the media type. I'm just getting some chat lines here that they'd like to hear that lecture. So uh, Ken Hillier, my old buddy from way back, uh, Ken is uh, was an airborne medic in Vietnam, and once upon a time was my roommate. 
Uh, What's for, his name? Ken? Ken Hillier. He liked to listen to that lecture. So, Ken, I'm going to post that link and I'll put it out on Wartop Bulletin Board. Uh, and Do I'll that. Yeah. It. yeah. It's really. It was, he was dynamic. He was good. He was he was full of, oh, you know how we say it, piss and vinegar, but but he knew yeah, what that's much Stewart. He knew what he was talking about, and had uh, that crazy hair and had horses. He raced horses, wore cowboy boots all the time to, co- to yeah. college, and jeans, and uh, uh, really was, uh, you know, he he took a he took a lot of students around the world, different places. He did, he did. on anthropological sites, but. You know, the reason I enjoyed his discussion is that, hey, they were not, they didn't start from a political point of view. They started from how do you sustain yourself, you know, as a human being with the earth. Right. And um, the whole the whole thread was from going from uh, original hunters and gatherers up to where we are now as an industrial society. And I wanted the students to have sort of spokes to the wheel. You know, what is the axle right. to the wheel? The axle to the wheel is the way human beings or anything really its breeze relates to the land. Out of the of that axle come all the spokes, comes your institutions and your 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 policies, you know, and your values, your traditions. And but the center of it is you've got to you got to sustain yourself. You, you and you know you've got to exist first and and make make do among all the competitive creatures out there trying to do the same thing. Now they've got this romance involved, Ted, that, oh, my golly, we can control the climate. No anthropo- Listen, no anthropologist worth, worth his salt would ever make something stupid comment like that. It, it's just a stupid comment. I mean, they can't fix homelessness in San Francisco or any other city in Gainesville, they can't fix the budget as we're going through the budget debate, and but they're going to fix this thing outside of their control, the climate. And it's like, you know why? Because it's so far-reaching that everybody's like, yeah, we got to fix the climate. And it's like they know they can't fix it no more than they could stop the waves from coming in or the tide running or ah. the, the current going downstream. You ain't stopping it. Deal you with know. it. I asked a uh, Jim Dickey one time who had the good fortune to be a friend of the guy who wrote deliverance and was a poet laureate of the nation and uh, be a really bright guy, a fighter pilot in world war two and um, athlete, you know, he was a really a heck of a man. You know, he was, he was a poet, but you know, he was a, man, man. he was a man by a golly. And um, one day he and I were riding down the road. I had the good fortune to kind of be his courtier while he was here as a, poet in residence and they said ward we think you're the only guy he can get along with so you're in charge of him while he's here <laughs> you know and, and i said you know he won't he wasn't any namby pamby guy that let's put it that way and so we spent a lot of time together and he'd ask the damnedest questions you know that people don't normally ask because that's the way his mind worked we were riding down the road one day and he said ward he said what do you think is the most frightening natural disaster well, I've never been asked that question. Nobody ever asked me that question. And I struggled. I thought, well, is it an earthquake? No, an earthquake is over after a while. Is it a fire? Well, no, you can put that out. You know, and he said, it's rising water. Rising water. And then I got to thinking about the biblical flood. You know, this is a this is a story that has ancient roots, you know, and ancient fears and ancient kinds of of um, consequences. And so he asked me that question. I've never, Ted, I've never forgotten. It. The answer is rising water. And when I see this rising water and these floods, and right now at the at the weather I'm looking at on the computer, uh, America's ten costliest hurricanes, responsible for almost one trillion dollars of damage. You know, they can't even control the dadgum path of the hurricane, Ted. How are they going to appropriate all this money? Are you with me for climate quota, which started out to be save the planet, you remember? Well, it was... Uh, you got me going. In the 70s, the climate was, we were going to freeze to death. That didn't work. So 
then we we're going to burn up to death. And then they realized they couldn't say climate cooling, climate warming. Now it's climate change. That kind of covers everything. You know, at the bottom of the Mediterranean, I got another, I get this stuff, you know, I am looking all the time. They found a city the other day, you know? Well, I mean, heck, I don't want to get you beeped off the thing. <laughs> Down in Florida Keys off the dry Tortugas, where Fort Jefferson is, they found a Civil War encampment down there that's underwater and it was funny all right so what they certainly didn't build it when it was underwater so the tide has risen over the last 160 years but the guy i'm over here whether he's a great guy but he's from holland he lives in america and he's (laughs) on the liberal side and he was saying how you know the waters are rising and this and that but then he goes on well, 5,000 years ago, the waters were way down, and 2,000 years ago, they were a little bit higher, and we were in a business meeting, and I didn't want to say, well, can you explain that? You know, what was causing it back then? We didn't have cars and all that. It's, it's a natural change. It's a natural cycle. And the best thing we can do is be like cockroaches, adapt to the changes, <laughs> get higher, get away from the water, and get smarter about the resources you have. <laughs> you know, we're talking with Ted Young, in case you're just tuning in. I'm watching the chat line. And he is in Mongolia. And, uh, uh, hey, Colonel Boyd's on. By golly, some great guys watching the show. Uh, and um, it took him forever and a day to get there. 11, oh, hours from, 11 hours from Miami to your first hop took you where? From Miami to? 11 and a half hours to Istanbul, Turkey. To Istanbul, nonstop, I assume. And, and uh, yeah. Then from there, nonstop into Mongolia. Right. And the city city you're in, what is the city you're in? It's called Ulaanbaatar. Ulaanbaatar. But everybody, it's so hard to pronounce for most people, they call it UB. And how long will you be there? I leave uh, Saturday morning, uh, no, Saturday afternoon at 1.05. And then I fly to South Korea to meet my lovely wife. Wow. We're going to be there for eight days speaking on U.S. uh, South Korean foreign policy. Wow. I mean, that's a heck of a world you're having right now. That's a great great journey. South Korea. uh, We're very blessed, Um, you know, just to have somebody I married at 19. and We've been 48 years married, raised a family, and to be able to travel around the world like that, it's pretty awesome. But I know you wanted to talk about other stuff, too. Well, no, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, Well, I'll be calling you from there next week if all goes well. Well, it all goes well. I mean, it's always gone well. You've always always made it work. Um, Are you, I guess you're a day ahead of us. 12 hours, exactly 12 hours ahead of you. Yeah. So I can tell you how your day will go. Uh-huh. What to buy in the stocks, what not, what to sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, you're watching one of the miracles of uh, AI, I guess you'd call it artificial intelligence. Not us, but the smart people. miracle of smart people. Yeah, over, you know, making this instant communication really occurring at the speed of light. That's how the internet. You know, it is. I mean, I don't know how you're the reception of me and the, the voice, if there's a lag. Perfect. But perfect. It's perfect here, too. This is a very, in Alamitar, it's a very high-tech area. Um, it's free Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, they grew up under Soviet uh, control until 1996. And you can look around and you can see remnants of Soviet-era construction. In fact, I meant to send you some. In fact, I'll do it to us to you. I'll send you some pictures of Soviet-style housing. I mean, it is. Everybody gets this same house. It's this one. We're building that in Gainesville. <laughs> yeah, really. And uh, I call it that. We'll ride down the road, and, and you know, they look like egg cartons, you know. And I'll yeah. say, I'll say to my wife because I don't get around the town like she does. And um, I'll say, "What is that over there? Oh, that's an apartment complex, or those are condos." I said, "That's Soviet housing." And, and the thing yeah. is, it's expensive. Where's my phone? I'll send it to you. It's it's expensive, you know that stuff, and yeah. it's all it's all completely removed from the land. You know, it's uh, 
everything is concrete or well, even it's the security in the city thing we talked about last week. Yeah, and the security system. I said, how do you get into there? She said, oh, you show your phone. I said, you what? Yeah. You know, show your phone? Yeah. Really? Good golly, Miss Molly. Yeah, we're talking with Ted Yo, I'm checking the chat line, and then you want us to talk about um, a plantation. Mark says, he, and he, he, hey, listen, he's been with the submarines in the Navy as a chief, so he knows. There's over 250 cities in the bottom of the Mediterranean, about 14,000 years worth. And that's something. And you know something? I was reading the National Geographic. We're having a lot of fun today, Ted. Those dang ancient people, they had, they didn't take care of the fluctuations from their camels. That's right. If they just put a bag over their camels, but we wouldn't be in the problem we're in now. But they should have fed them a vegan diet. There, and I was reading the National Geographic one time. Uh, there was a moment now, but imagine this, when the water actually spilled over the Straits of Gibraltar and into the Mediterranean. Can you believe? And you know, there was there was a moment when that occurred. I didn't know now, that. Now, what do you think? You got your city down there, what you think is dry land. That's why Plantation Mark says there's 250 cities at the bottom of the Mediterranean. He would know. <laughs> he would know being in the in the subs. Oh my God. You know, and I had a buddy who was in the subs. You know, I had a couple, you know, every once in a while I run across them as students, and there would be submariners. And I asked them one time, um, did you guys ever know where you were? They said, No, no, we never knew where we were. And so we could, he said, we could sort of surmise it by checking the temperature on the hull of the sub. And he said, most of the time, the temperature was really, really cold. Because most of the time, we were under the Arctic cap, waiting to pop up and, and splat the Russians if they caused any problem. He said, but this was during Reagan, by the way, Ted. He says, at one time, we noticed that the water outside on the, on the sub hull was warm. And we were sitting on the bottom of the Mediterranean. Reagan had sent us there. Reagan really? said, yeah, he was he was concerned with Beirut. Remember when he intercepted that oh, plane? Yeah. yeah. He sent the nuclear subs down to Mediterranean, parked them on the bottom of the Mediterranean, and said, just in case we have a problem, I want you guys there. Yeah. And, and that, you know what? Yeah. that was a president that loved this country as Trump did. That was um, a great president. He, he really was. And, you know, you look at the media back then, Oh, they, they said he was demented and he was this and he was that. But I tell you what, that guy was a great leader. He had it all. He had a sense of humor. You know, he was. He, he did, was, didn't he? Yeah. Well, we're talking with Ted Yo. We're going to take a bottom of the hour break here for the weather and uh, push our sponsors. And we appreciate all of you who donate to the Ward Scott Files. Uh, it certainly is a wonderful group of people who are following us and listening to us, Ted. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melman Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. 
And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who to you by Lewis Oil. Good friend, good supporter of the show. Chevron stations, that's where you'll find them. So listen here. We are still waiting on more rain here in God's country. We hopefully will get some today. My golly, the grass is still not growing. I have not done the naked rain dance. I don't think I'll do the naked rain dance for a while. It just brings deluges, and once it starts, I can't stop it. So we'll see if nature's climate change plays out its own scenario. Meanwhile, I thought I'd give you a, you know, we're in the mid-70s and maybe up to high 80s, maybe nudging 90 today where we are. But I thought I'd run through real quickly for you something I talked about with Ted while we went on a break here. Uh, the hurricanes, the 10 costliest hurricanes. Ivan, 32.4 billion. Ike, 41.4 billion. Andrew, 57.8 billion. Irma, 61 billion. Ida, 80.9 billion. Sandy, 84.6 billion. Maria, 109.8 billion. Ian, Ian, 114 billion. RV, 152.5 billion. And uh, Katrina, number one, costliest hurricane in history. It's the most expensive natural disaster in U.S. history. It made landfall in South Florida as a Category 1 hurricane near Miami. Strong winds gusting between 85 and 95, plus heavy rains caused substantial damage and flooding. After that, it strengthened into a Category 5 hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico, even though it had weakened to a Category 3. It became a mammoth size, extreme intensity. It wrecked havoc all through the Mississippi Valley and all that. 192 Point five billion dollars of damage. So there we are. We're not quite into hurricane season here yet, but we are always getting closer to it as we go through the summer. So Ted is back, and um, he, Ted uh, Yoho is in Mongolia. And a um, couple of questions, really, maybe you can or can't answer. Uh, you know, what currency do they use? Uh, uh, let's ask it this way. What do they think of the dollar? The dollar there, Ted. They love the dollar. Huh? They love the dollar. Yeah, they love the dollar. Uh, yeah, they smile when they see the dollar bill because they know whatever it is, it's worth a lot more per unit than their dollar. And I'm going to look that up right now. I meant to have that up for you, but you know, you're you were adding up all those hurricanes. How much did that come to? You said a little bit less than a trillion. Right, I think so. Let me look back at the head of the article. It's put up there by um, one of the weather apps. That's a lot of money, though. Yeah, almost yeah, one trillion. Almost one trillion, Ted. All right, but that's less than Joe Biden has spent and put this country in debt in his first two years in office, and now we're in three years. So. He's worse than all those hurricanes combined as far as the cost of this nation. That's an excellent point. The climate, the climate change people are out there. Well, he's spending all this money on the uh, IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the climate change accords and all that to fix this problem, but it ain't so. Well, I had a horrible thought, Ted. 
Biden is still going to be the president. Go to confession. Biden's still going to be the, <laughs> still be the president for a couple of years. What makes people think he'll know up from down six months from now, and that we won't have you know who in the saddle? Oof. Whoa! You talk about crazy. It is. So the Mongolian uh, unit of money is called a Tugrix, Tug, T-U-G-R-I-K-S. And I'm over here with this business partner of mine, and he says the Mongolians, when they speak, it's like when they say something, it's like they swallow all the vowels. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a unique language, and it's really kind of neat. But uh, one dollar is equal to 3,520 Mongolian Tugrik. Tugrik. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so whatever you buy, just divide it. If it's 30,000 or 35,000 of these, it would be worth $10. Interesting. Good question from the chat group here. Uh, we'll see what that's your have. official answer. <laughs> see what else they got on their mind here. Um, and Plantation Mark was knows the subs surface Persian navigation system they use. Uh, the subs know where they are. Yeah, I was talking to the sub mariners who were not at the conning tower. You know, they were they were the guys I guess stoking the nuclear furnace. But uh, I found all the sub mariner. Uh, I only had two. Over the, over the lifetime of working with them, all very, very smart. And uh, I don't think you could be on a sub and not be smart because what are you going to yeah, do? Many huh? dumb people on there for sure. Yeah, and you got to be able to get along and be calm and all that. I'd probably go crazy on there. But, hey, uh, Beavis, did you close the hatch? Yeah. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of the military, you did send me this article. I think you did. Or... Anyway, I ran across it. Here's another thing to concern me, Ted. The woke is the wokening of the military is bothering me. And here is why it's bothering me. If you emphasize the woke in the military, are we not turning the military into a leftist organization? That's what bothers me, my friend. The military, and that would be a quantum change, would it not? What's the number one goal of the United States government? To provide for the national defense of our nation. Number one task. That's what they should be focused on. It has nothing to do with the ESG scores. It has nothing to do with equity. It has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter or George Floyd or white supremacy or the KKK or any of that stuff. It's national security. You kill people, you prevent people from invading this country, and you protect this country. But we've grown beyond that. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about because that ties in to – I haven't watched the news. I don't watch the news much anymore. I mean, I didn't watch Tucker. I didn't watch Sean. I I just can't watch that stuff because it's it's – Anyways, I turned it on today, and they had Donald Trump is getting has to he got charged and he's got to pay five million dollars to a woman from thirty some years ago, which yeah. I just don't understand. Yeah. And and it's you you start looking at the attack on Republicans. You got Trump; they've been going on like you said on several episodes we've talked about since he and Melania came down the, the escalators at Trump Tower in 2015. Look at what they're doing to DeSantis. Yes, Trump is attacking DeSantis, but look at how the left is attacking him. Look at how Disney, I mean, people are going after DeSantis like he's the next, you know, um, the next Satan coming up. Uh, Look at how they're going after Clarence Thomas. And when I say they, the liberal progressive Marxists, they they don't qualify to be Democrats. They want to push the fundamental changing transformation of Obama and the people that put Obama in there that Biden is being very successful at as Obama was. And you look at these things that they're going after, 
And this is what we really need to focus on in in this next election. It's not about the budget. It's not about the southern border. Those things can be fixed, but we need to look at that underlying problem, and that goes into look at what they're doing to the military. We are so off base on what we should be focusing on as a nation that we get distracted by all these other things. You know, uh, the, 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 the what's-his-name Mulvaney that did that to uh, Budweiser. Um, and look at the blowback. I'm so proud of the conservatives and the people that said, you know, enough of this BS. We're not, we're not playing this game. And I think there's enough Americans out there that say we're looking for people that aren't going to divide this nation. We're looking at people to bring this nation together, unite this nation. And we're not going to participate in all this wokeness. We're not going to put participate in this race division and all this stuff. We want to focus on what's going to make America stronger and let's pull us out to the next generation and let's plan that now. And those are the kind of people we need to support. And the media show is out there. We are in the beginning of the carnival season as far as campaigns go. And just buy your peanuts, sit on the sideline, watch the big ring because it'll show. And, I mean, you're going to see all this nonsense. They are attacking George Santos and they've indicted him. They're going to arrest him. And I think that's a good thing. That guy should go. I mean, I I got the opportunity to see him one time when I was up in D.C., and uh, he's a very lonely man. And, uh, you know, we don't need people like that in politics because that was a self-gratifying thing to be, lie your way to the top. And, uh, you know, we've got some serious things on here. And then I, I turned on and they were talking about the budget with McCarthy and Biden and, you know, just the, the garbage Biden is saying. Um, and it's going to be interesting to play this out because what I heard made me ill because I heard that my first year in Congress in 2013. It's the same discussion, and unfortunately, it's the same people. You got Joe Biden, who's been there for a 1,000 years or 47 years, and then you got Kevin McCarthy that's been there, I think, since 2006. And these are the same people that say, we're going to fix it, we're going to do this, and then they do all the theatrics, and they don't fix it, America goes further in debt, and these are the same people that are going to fix climate change. Give me a break. Well, you know, talking about the beginning now of the attack on DeSantis, the yeah. Atlantic, the publication Atlantic, which is a Boston publication, um, I think it used to be the Atlantic Monthly, um, from the north and from the northeast in particular, but going out through that whole liberal network, here is a, an article. Let's read you the headline. How did America's weirdest, most freedom-obsessed state fall for an authoritarian governor? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> now, and then a subtitle, A Journey Through Ron DeSantis' Magic Kingdom. <laughs> now, this woman, Helen Lewis, has to be so proud of herself who wrote this. I will assure you, Helen Lewis doesn't know, you know what, from a hole in the ground about Florida, which is not a weird state. I think New York is a weird state, you know, if we want to have weird states. I think DC. Yeah, or California or DC is weird. Now, this this is the way the article starts. In the course of a single month this year, the following news reports emanated from Florida. A gun enthusiast in Tampa built a 55-foot backyard pool shaped like a revolver with a hot tub in the hammer. <laughs> God hey, bless that guy. This is America. A 32-year-old from Cutler Bay was arrested for biting off the head of his girlfriend's pet python during a domestic dispute. Now, this is being used to to, to, to draw the character profile of Florida. Hey, a 40-year-old man cracked open a beer during a police stop in Cape Coral. A father from East Orlando punched a bobcat in the face for attacking his daughter's dog. Was that, was that butt? Was that beer he opened up? Was that a Bud Light? 
Yeah, was that a Bud Light? <laughs> <laughs> what else are you supposed to do if a, an animal attacks your dog? And this article, this dadgum thing, you know, it, it is, it reads like fiction. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> my old buddy, yeah, but, my old buddy Harry Bruce should be alive. He, this yeah, woman's really. trying to compete with him. That lady needs to look at the population growth in Florida. Why, if it's this dang crazy, why are people moving here, lady? Yeah, and did those people come from New York? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe there were some Jersey people there now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh. So the standoff on the budget is happening. And, you know, the, the same s- stupid arguments, we can't, we have to raise our debt ceiling. If we don't, we default as a nation. And there's going to be millions of people out of work, and it's going to crash not just our economy, but the world, and Armageddon's coming. They said those same things 13 years ago when we were only at $13.5 trillion in debt. Not raising the debt ceiling. I want, you, I want people to understand that. Not raising the debt ceiling does not trigger a default. Understand that? Well, where's that written? Where's that written anywhere? <laughs> it's not, but it's it's just economic sense. Not raising the debt ceiling does not trigger a fall. A default is when you don't pay your bills. We can pay our bills. And John Boehner and I had this conversation when I was a freshman. He goes, I don't want to hear anybody saying they're voting they're they're not going to raise the debt ceiling. We've got to raise the debt ceiling because we've got to pay our bills. I had missed the prelude to that conversation because I was late to the freshman meeting. And I said, Miss Boehner, well, I'm not voting to raise the debt ceiling. And, and everybody looked at me like, oh, man. He said, don't even bring that up. And I says, he goes, we got to raise that. And I said, why? And he goes, because we're going to default. I said, well, defaults when you don't pay your bills. I said, that doesn't trigger a default not raising your debt ceiling. Well, we got to pay our bills. And I said, all right. I said, what bill's not getting paid? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, tell me a bill that's not getting paid. Is it the VA? Is it S- Social Security? Is it Medicare? And he's just looking at me like, how dare you? I said, no, give me a number. Because in, in industry or business, if I'm short of change, I go get a bridge loan. We we pay the bill. And then the money, we know the money's coming in. So we pay that off. I said, so give me an example. Oh, he didn't like that. <laughs> well, you know what it, may, what it seems like to me, too, is, well, you know, I owe the credit card mon- uh, company money. So let me borrow from the credit card company more money to pay the credit card company. <laughs> yeah, to pay the bill I can't pay. Yeah, yeah. Let me borrow more money to pay the bill I can't pay. All right, now, 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 now switch over to become a Democrat and say, if I've screwed up and I, I've got terrible credit, or there there are some legitimate reasons, you know, people get sick and they, they have these big expenses, but you get bad credit. So now we're going to tax the big people or the people above 680 degree or 680 points in their credit rating, we're going to charge them $40 a month more on their payments so they can pay for the people that screwed up. You know, that's the mindset of socialism or Marxism. And I'm telling you, people, we are here. And you better go to the polls, and you better make a difference, and you better not vote for a a Democrat, number one, number or a Marxist Democrat would be oh, a Democrat would be an improvement over what we got now. And you better <laughs> not vote for the rhino. You know, these people that are in there, they're vying for your votes in two years for Congress, six years in the Senate. If yeah. they've told you they are going to do these things and they have supported the status quo, i.e. voted for Kevin McCarthy, throw their rear ends out because unless Kevin pulls out a miracle and he gets this thing to where we're starting to go, backwards in our debt well and secure the border <laughs> i don't know how we're going to find leadership and restore trust in the institutions it's just i think the i think the tap i think the american public's tapped out um i think they've gone well, beyond where they can repair what, uh, huh? this is what happened to germany pre-world war ii they were so frustrated they became complacent and then they elected a Hitler. And I know that lady that wrote that article from the Atlantic, she thinks Trump or DeSantis are the Hitlers. 
No, they're not. They're people that are just trying to preserve our constitutional republic and the Constitution. Yeah, I'm just looking at some more of her language. It's just, uh, it, it is amazing. And what they don't understand, uh, Ted, never bring up, okay? Okay. You don't want us to have DeSantis? Would you want us to have Gillum? Cool. I mean, they never bring that up. They never bring that up. Think about this. I want, I want people, if you haven't seen it, Look at the feeds from the White House. You've got Biden, you got Chuck Schumer, Kevin McCarthy, and you got Joaquin Jeffries. Watch Joaquin Jeffries. The conversation's going on over there. He's like this. He could be your next Speaker of the House if the Democrats get control. And we talked about, I sent you that article about reparations. Just right. in California alone, California alone, Reparations is estimated to cost $800 billion, which is twice the revenues that California brings in in a year. $800 billion. So I want to know who's going to pay that. And I sent you the articles. Well, who did slavery in this country? And that book I've talked about, James Madison, um, patriarch, president, preacher, He goes through the slavery issue of why they talked about it in 1778 and why it wasn't in the Constitution. And it was a disclusionary clause because it was so toxic that they could not ratify the Constitution had they talked about slavery. So they paused it. It was going to be 15 years. And they said, better give it 20. And then after 20 years, it came up. But Reparation, if you look through history, the Southern Jefferson Republicans were the ones that really pushed it. The Virginia, Georgia, you know, the Carolinas, they pushed slavery. And then you moved on. Beyond that, we had the uh, the Civil War, 700,000 well, let me, people. Let me, let, me, let me show you something that's interesting, this thread. Sure. Stuart McCray and I talked about this quite a bit. And I said, Stuart, I want to come at this from an anthropological point of view. I don't want to come at this from political point of view. Yeah. And and so in looking around, we discussed this because we're way we're looking outside the culture a long, long way. When you think about it, Ted, there's no one in the American culture who can talk about this issue objectively. I found, I'm going to go into this tomorrow. Roll Jordan Roll by Eugene Genovese, an Italian, is a definitive work on American slavery. This work, let me just introduce you to it, Ted. You might be interested to it. I've heard Is... About 700 pages. When was it written? It was written. Let me see. Published by Random House. um, 1972. Now, when you take a look at the notes on sources. Yeah. I just want to show you all the notes on sources. Very well researched. Oh, my God. The notes on sources are about about 100 pages of just him telling you. And here's some of the things he looked at. I mean, you know, what do you how do you really know what's going on? You look at some of the things, obviously, that are obvious uh, uh, auctions and things like that. But you look at uh, uh, a common. I mean, it's just so so. Incredibly detailed um, pamphlets and things that were, but anyways, a hundred pages. Now here's the way he did this. Then from that, he begins to draw conclusions, but he doesn't enter with a preconceived conclusion. So he looks at all, you know, what was published in the paper that day, what was in his pamphlet, what's this oh, that one, 
And I'd love to get that. I'd like to read that. Yeah. And what, you know, what does that, after a while, what emerges from that? What bubbles up out of that on the stove? And then he begins to categorize it. And here are the categories. I'm going to go into this tomorrow, I think. I've been waiting around to do this. For example, here is one whole thing. Life in the big house. What was it like to be in the big house on the plantation? Um, here is the black work ethic. Okay. A chapter on a whole section on that. Um, who were the lazy people? Whole section on that. Um, time and work rhythms. How in the world, you know, would you come to that? Religious foundations of the black nation. And this is in huh? slavery in the U.S., right? Right. Just slavery in the U.S. The black preachers, the gospel in the quarters, uh, wives and mothers, husbands and fathers. You know, it's and the man has written. From looking at specifics and drawing conclusions and category, it's the only thing I've seen. And Stuart and I talked about this. That gives us a kind of perspective that's offshore. We're yeah. looking at it offshore. Well, yeah, because it you is. Can't get, you yeah. can't get an unbiased opinion in this country in one way or another because nobody was there. Nobody was there. Right. I mean, I was there since 55, so it's 1960. I started remembering things. You know, there's one section, for example, he's got, I, I'm, I'm not going to belabor it right now because we're out of time, where he traces the Southern work available for so-called slaves and the Northern work available. Right. Was, you know, well, guess who got the raw deal? The Northern guys got the raw deal. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, uh, get the jobs. They didn't get the mansions. You know, they got the ghettos. Anyway, I just want to introduce that to you. Roll Jordan Roll by Eugene Genovese, G-E-N. Yeah, I'll have to read that. I haven't seen that book. But if you look through history, just from the Civil War on, Woodrow Wilson uh, segregated the military and government offices. Um, And it just goes on. Uh, Johnson fought against, or I mean, the Democrats did the KKK. Um, they wanted to keep slavery. They fought against civil rights of the 60s. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it's a mess. And look at all the money we've invested in all the social programs, affirmative action. And you'll remember when Obama said affirmative, affirmative action has not worked. We need to get rid of it. And of course, then they go into what we have today. And, uh, you know, so reparations go after the people, anybody that's registered as a Democrat, they're the ones that should pay if you're going to do this. But I think reparations was paid for in the Civil War. You know, the other, the other, I'll get in. I'm going to do the show tomorrow. I'm pretty sure. You also have to look at the so-called slavery. What decade are you talking? Because it's a right. changing, moving definition. It's not one definition constantly. So, you know what? Slavery still going on today at a higher number than it ever has. Well, and also look at what we do. We're really doing the same thing with China. It's just out of our eyesight. We put the women in the hot boxes there to create the products that we sell here, right? And we don't mind what China does with those women because it's not in our backyard. China's beyond slavery. I mean, they're 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 taking organs out of people, the Falun Gong uh, religious sect. Uh, dissenters, if you've got a kidney that somebody needs, they've got a multi-billion dollar industry of harvesting organs. And why we do business with China, I just don't understand it. Uh, my wife bought me a, a very nice drone for my birthday. I looked at it. I wanted to play with it, but it said made in China. <laughs> I said, send it back to Amazon. And when they say why, so it was made in China. I don't want it. Well, we're out of time, Ted. I'll tell you what, it's a spirited wow. conversation we had today. And uh, you got to still go to sleep. You'll be up all night, right? <laughs> I got a, I got a conference call at 1030 here. So, Well, yeah. we'll look for you from South Korea next Wednesday. So uh, That's right. Enjoy it. Well. Have a great day, man. And uh, 
Take care. Hope you enjoyed the show, you all. Warthog Command Center out. Good night. God bless.